All right, welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 58. This is an emergency episode. This is Paul Geesting. Uh, Bill and I had a couple of episodes recorded. Uh, Zencaster ate them. Uh, I've got about two minutes of my side of the audio on the first one, and I think three minutes on the other one out of a 20 to 30 minute episode. So here I am. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to go through here and, uh, summarize what we talked about. I don't anticipate Zencaster is going to be able to get the content back. If it does, I'll definitely post it in, uh, whether as main episodes or in some other capacity. Um, start out with, though, a uh, little bit of news. First of all, I turned 40 recently. That's interesting. Uh, another one of those, uh, moments in life I tend to, I'm, I'm a bit of a numerologist by instinct myself, so these big, uh, milestone birthdays seem to mark, uh, things in my life. My my mother passed away two days before I turned 30. I don't think, uh, I've never thought that was quite a coincidence. I mean, her life was between her and God, but uh, God can God can slide timing around. He has that much power. He's, he's, he's on the outside. Uh, he can do what he wants with it. Uh, that, w- that, was a, that was a wake-up call to me, and uh, 40 has been Another opportunity to uh, make some changes. Of course, you know, I started this podcast last year. That was that was a change in itself. Um, other changes coming going on in my life. Uh, if you read the uh, blog entries, you, you'll you'll hear about those uh, in a little bit more detail than I've been doing in the podcast. Looking for looking for work um, at this point. Trying to uh, trying to do a bit of a uh, a turn toward. Uh, trying to use that math and science ability that I was born with. And, you know, from the time I was very, very young, realized that was what I had to, that was the most unusual thing that I had to offer the world. Um, yeah. So would love to hear any feedback, any of you, especially if you're involved in fields like material science, that's what I'm thinking about trying to pivot to from uh, geology, mineralogy, crystal structures, uh, trying, trying to pivot to more of an applied field. Probably a job at a national lab or something along those lines. Wouldn't, but uh, whatever, whatever capacity, trying to uh, get into a place where I work with a group of people. I've spent enough of my time, uh, enough of my life by myself is kind of how I feel about it. The more peers I have to bounce ideas off of, the better. So let me, uh, in the context of this being an ap- actual episode of That's So Second Millennium, let me go ahead and summarize what we were going to try to talk about over the next few episodes. So, uh, Starting, starting from what we talked about last episode, just, just trying to get back to basics in terms of why, why is it better to be Catholic than otherwise? Why is it better to be a believing scientist than otherwise? Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's on both sides, right? You know, that's, that's kind of the whole point of the podcast is not to make the errors that, uh, characterize the end of the second millennium that of course we've carried so far it's only 20 years into the new millennium i have um i i maintain hope that we'll get uh we'll get better at this but not to try to separate science and religion because usually that's either religious people trying to distance themselves from overly crude scientific people or scientific people trying to distance themselves from overly crude religious people and both of those are overreactions. It's a classic human overreaction. So let's let's look at it for a second from the perspective of, you know, I mean, you know, of course, the, and it's my own personal issue with the way the debate usually gets phrased that we we tend to believe that we already know where the boundaries are between science and religion. 
I don't think we know any such thing with anywhere near the degree of security that uh, a lot of people seem to assume that they know where those boundaries should be. Um, I think we're going to find out. I think we're going to continue to find out. And I think we're going to continue to find things that surprise us. Um, I'm wading my way through the terrifying book that is uh, Roger Penrose's um, Road to Reality, um, where he just, um, it's like being beaten with an aluminum baseball bat, really, in terms of he just takes, I mean, it, he starts with a journey through mathematics, and now he's continuing into a journey through physics, where he simply, I mean, every chapter he hits me in the head again. This is a, con you know, whether it's calculus, complex numbers, vectors, uh, he just does it, like, never, you know, the, the, the chapter, I'm in chapter 19, so we're looking at Maxwell's equations. Never once are you going to see Maxwell's equations as they're presented to you in a, um, in a, in a uh, undergraduate, you know, or, or even graduate level uh, physics textbook. Uh, does not look like what I, saw, what I saw in electricity and magnetism at all. Um, it's got to be in this uh, much more abstract and bizarre formulation. So following him along, I mean, really all I'm doing with this is, is, uh, is just getting myself familiar with like, oh, this is a concept I would need to learn about in order to get to the, the boundary in, in terms of theoretical physics. Okay. And this concept and this concept and this concept. Now I'm not going to learn anything from this book other than the names of the concepts, but in any case, it's still a great demonstration of just how bizarre reality actually is and how little we have the ability to predict it beforehand. This universe that we inhabit is a very, very, very strange place indeed compared to what our instincts... And that's, the, and that's the marvelous thing. On the other hand, not to go too far, we don't know nothing. We found out all manner of things. We, by, you know, by being very careful and criticizing ourselves and one another, criticizing in the constructive sense, testing, tapping considering taking other people taking other people's ideas and preference to our own when they actually work better things that we can do with difficulty um so all of that said based on what we do have in terms of scientific it's you know all of the dramatic things we've talked about this in the podcast already it's a dramatic strange thing that turned up in the 20th century that it turned out that the determinism that determinism is not really a viable option and all the tests of Bell's inequality are really kind of driving, just have just driven a final nail into that coffin. The universe is not deterministic. It's not, you know, what we, what we think, among other things, is not physically determined by the prior state of the system. That's simply not true. There is all the room in the world that we need for non-material things that we, we couldn't tell. The universe has been constructed not to be able to let us tell. That's, that's, it, it may as well, you know, that's not a proof that it is, uh, the teleology of what I just said, there's there's no proof of that. But if something had constructed a universe in order not to be able to tell when non-material things affected the material universe, it would it could look something like this. It could look exactly like this. So, and, and also the fact that the universe has a cause, or at least it seems to have a beginning. And, you know, we, we have this endless chains of causality, and they have to, but they have to end somewhere, or else the the chain could never get started. That's a you know philosophic point that seems you know it's hard hard to get around. There there has to be some sort of cause. Um, we need a beginning. 
we need a cause that is not itself caused, which means it's not going to look like anything in the universe itself. Um, we all have minds. We all know that we think, and we know that we experience, and those are not the same things as knowing that this green light entering my eyes from the grass outside is at X nanometer uh, wavelength. That, that That's nice. That's fascinating. That's wonderful to know. And to know that it starts and generates neural patterns of chemical and electrical signaling through my brain. That's all fascinating to know. It's very important to know. And in fact, it will tell us more about our thought processes. That, I think, gets um, underrated by some philosophers, so to speak, on our side in terms of being religious. Um, I, we have a lot to learn from neuroscience. We've started talking about that a little bit. But that still doesn't mean that we can reduce things. We, we just can't. We can't reduce it all to matter. There, there's something that's obviously not simply matter. And the only argument that materialists have is simply to shuffle their feet and assert the dogma that, well, it must be all physical because that's worked so well so far. Well, yeah, it's true that, you know, we've, we've come up with a lot of material explanations for an awful lot of things. That's no guarantee, whatever, that they're going to end. Finding deterministic explanations for things came to an end. And then, of course, there's the fact, you know, and then we, we move on from the idea that there is there is something beyond the universe. There is a first cause, a being it, being itself, a prime mover. All of those things are true, predicated of that thing that created the universe. And then we have, you know, and we have our own spiritual component. And then we move on to the question of what is this thing trying to tell us in terms of what has happened in the world, the history of Christianity itself, the resurrection of Jesus, those bear, you know, not what happens to a guru, not what happens to a warlord. Um, the story of Jesus Christ is, it's just not like all of those things. It's not a mythology. It has names and dates attached to it. And then, of course, there's the fact that miracles have continued to occur. And in fact, in the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries, we continue to have things that simply don't, they're, they either don't make sense or they're so amazingly unlikely, you know, things that, you know, why do we have a professional medical board in Lourdes testing miracles? Uh, what actually happened at Fatima? What is this Shroud of Turin that would have taken, gosh, I was reading a fascinating article about that, how many gigawatts of laser output you would need in order to burn the pattern into the Shroud of Turin fast enough so that the fibers wouldn't degrade. I mean, it's just insane. It's just insane. And the healings that go on elsewhere in the world, uh, if you've ever read, uh, I'll put his name in the liner notes, but Bob Shooks um, has written a few fascinating books. I mean, he's, you know, one of us German-American, you know, his last name is, is horrible to spell in the classic German fashion, S-C-H-U-C-H-T-S. But, uh, yeah, and then he's gone to the third world and encountered, yeah, People, people with enough faith that the, the healings actually still happen. You know, I have to take his word for it, but that's not, that's simply not the entirety of the story. Even, even if that was proved wrong, even if every story that he had had a, had a natural explanation, you know, there's just, there's just too much. There's just too much. I mean, there's certainly too much for Christianity as a worldview to be dismissed. There's far too much for that. That's not even an option that's on the table. And, and yet, that's what, that's what our culture screams at us. And that's what's truly asinine. 
and that has you know and and you know and that's that's again you know one of one of the things that I look at the history of the last five hundred years of Western civilization and look at the church is still being punished for the hypocrisy of its leadership for the hypocrisy of the the political leadership that it allied itself with, and what are we going to do about that in this third millennium? I think we ought to take some really careful i mean we as the laity specifically um and that step is not going to be rebellion against the clergy and attempt to replace it. But it's like, what are we going to do? The church needs probably to operate differently in order to spread the message of this amazing Jesus of Nazareth and to make people's lives better or to be the instrument by which God makes people's lives better. Um, and there's just... I mean, there's no room for complacency. Why would we want to be complacent? We have this amazing, we have this amazing mission we could be part of. Why do we sit on the sidelines and you know shop for crap on the internet? Which of course, you know, he said, thinking of something that he spent a lot of time doing himself. Um, yeah, yeah. So and that's and that brings me kind of to the other half of what we were I was hoping to talk about in the next few episodes. Um, we are. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to talk about, and of course this is, you know, a, a topic I want to take up in the rest of the season, perhaps. But, um, you know, and so so I've brought up the whole intellectual side, and, and I was listening to a couple of podcasts uh, where this guy named, uh, this apologist, Protestant apologist named John Warner Wallace was being uh, interviewed. He was in the LAPC uh, homicide officer. Um, he comes with a sort of forensic background and, you know, looking at all the alternatives specifically for how could you explain the resurrection of Jesus without a supernatural event happening? None of them are anything you'd want to bring in front of a jury. <laughs> None of them are anything you'd want to bring in front of a jury. And so he, he comments actually specifically a point that stuck with me. He said, you know, like my life is more difficult now that I've found Jesus. I mean, I just have to do it because it's true. I'm like, well, that's really admirable. I'm glad that he's doing that. But there's another side to it in terms of, you know, if it's all true, um, the New Testament doesn't promise us an easy life, and yet it does promise us blessing. So I hope that, uh, I, I hope that's not uh, all there is for him to experience. I suspect it's not. Um, you know, so it's important to be intellectually honest about things. One point that he brought up, there's certain people, and he, he brought up Mormon specifically, and I've had the Mormon uh, sales pitch, or at least a Mormon sales pitch that sounds like the one that was, you know, given to him. You know, pick up this book and, and read it and think about how it makes you feel. Well, we don't start with feelings. A lot of people say, well, we shouldn't do feelings at all, and I'm not sure that works. That was a point that Bill and I were discussing. Um... You have to take feelings into account. They're an integral part of who we are. And I can vouch for having spent decades trying to hammer my feelings into oblivion. Um, it didn't work very well. It didn't lead to a life that was very successful uh, in terms of uh, growing in virtue. It didn't lead to a life that was very successful in terms of doing much good for other people. Um, it's really... It, it, it hasn't worked. Um... You don't, that's a far, you know, acknowledging that you have feelings and taking steps recognizing uh, to live in a way that recognizes that you have feelings, those are important. Uh, those are really important. That's a far cry from doing whatever your feelings seem to impel you to do at the moment. 
Those are those are very very different things. Um, so we get to now. If if this is all true, if intellectually this stuff is all true, we will get to the point where we get help in terms of things like dealing with our feelings, being able to live through the pain that we experience, um, being to live able to live through disappointments, being able to live through and actually grow past and come to a better uh, emotional state. I mean, sometimes we, you know, we we really feel will feel better as a result of this God that we've come to believe in acting in our lives. That is, I mean, that's that's simply going to happen if all the rest of it is true, because it's all you know. By the time you've taken the entirety of the Christian scriptures and Catholic tradition, uh, that's that's in there. That that's in there. That's incorporated. That's not. You can't uh, wish that away. Um, you know, so thinking about what, what are the sort of practical benefits? I, I came up with a list, so I'll go ahead and, and sketch these out. And then I have some interesting news to share with you here at the end. So Christianity provides a shockingly direct question to the answer to the question of evil. That seems to me really underappreciated. Um, I'm having trouble thinking of someone. Surely I, I, I'm sure I've read or heard someone make this statement before, um, but not often enough. Um, the fact that we don't have an explicit and we have an implicit answer, but we have a fascinatingly powerful implicit answer to the question of evil, which is that God and not just a God, a super being. That's not an old man sitting on a chair in the clouds. That's not who we believe in. Um, that's not the God of actual Christianity. Um, being itself, the transcendental God of both sorry, Pascal, of both Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the philosophers, all at once, all at the same time, um, be, I am who am, that God has emptied himself, become man, become born in a stable, become a refugee, lived in poverty in an oppressed corner of an ancient empire, lived in a probably, you know, listening especially to the bits and pieces from, say, the Gospel of John, where Jesus' brothers don't really believe in him either, um, in a, you know, mixed family of some kind, some sort of tension, whether whether St. Joseph had children from a previous marriage or not, depending on whose interpretation of the Holy Family's history you follow. Um, in any case, whether they were half-brothers or cousins... Uh, there, Jesus had a lot of people, and of course he went back to Nazareth and had lots of people disbelieve in him, and, and in fact try to throw him uh, off off of the edge of the hill they were uh, they had apparently built the town on. Um, so Jesus went through all of that, started a movement, healed a bunch of people, and then submitted himself to interrogation, torture, and even to this day, one of the worst forms of death that uh, the human race has ever devised. You know, there are worse lives than Jesus of Nazareth. There are people who have suffered more than him. But he went right out into the middle of it. And so God has, as it were, put his money where his mouth is. We don't know what the value of evil is. I mean, we don't, we don't have a firm, firm answer to that. We have lots of theories. And we also have the assurance that that which put us here has experienced evil too, and quite a bit of it. 
why does Christianity continue to spread in poor nations? Why does it spread in China? It spreads in Africa. It's, it's spreading in Asia. Um, it continues to this day to spread in these places. And in China, in the face of a really, I mean, an amazingly oppressive government, um, with all the modern apparatus of modern technology at its service, all of it, I mean, hell, they manufacture all of it. Um, how is how is it spreading? Why is it spreading? Why is it? Cont- I mean, it's so demanding, and yet it's it answers human needs. That's that's I mean, that's the answer. It answers human needs, and we are in the West trying to escape from it, and we have in the middle of you know amazing amazing plenty material wealth beyond the imagination of previous generations. We're miserable, and we're bitching at each other. And we have we have nothing better to do than be miserable and bitch and bitch at each other. Why and and drown ourselves in distractions? Of course, all the things that disappoint us we drown in distractions. Why are we so? Why are, why why have we drifted away? Why are we so? I mean, that's you know that's 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 the central question. That's the fascinating drama of the last five hundred years of human history. Is that even as Europe was destroying Christianity from within. It was spreading it to the whole rest of the world. It's just it's just fascinating and bizarre, and I don't know what the answer is, why God has chosen to do it this way. Um obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but uh we're we're passing we've passed. We're we're in the we're most of the way through. We're almost all the way through. Uh, one phase going from one phase into the next, if this is the sound of me uh, leaning over while I plug in my laptop, which is going to die otherwise. Yeah. Um, what, what, we're, we're going from one phase to the next, and, you know, there's, we're, we shouldn't necessarily, I mean, and, and uh, we shouldn't lament too much the passing of what was gone because there's the possibility of much, much better things a church that is actually unmoored from the political establishment. And it was it's actually beautiful how even in the medieval era, uh, the church managed to maintain a certain distance. And that's, of course, I mean, it was necessary. That was how it was how it formed. It was how it continued. Um, and it's how it's going to continue into this third millennium without any further political patronage. Um, as in fact, governments turn against it, uh, in various ways. That's, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. It's also going to be dangerous. I mean, the possibility that our own governments in the West will reach the point. I mean, well, they have, I mean, there's been Spain and France and Russia and Mexico and, you know, innumerable cases where the, the Catholic church has basically become illegal, um, or the Christian churches have basically become illegal and people have been killed for not, for refusing to toe the secular line. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, we're actually in a lull. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if it comes back. Um, I mentioned our, you know, our tendency to drug away the pain that we, you know, experience having thrown away Christianity um, with all of our distractions and our chemical distractions and our various ways of adjusting our internal chemistry. Um, 
So that's almost the characteristic failing of our age. You know, there there are people who interpret, you know, there's Gerald May, his book Addiction and Grace from back in the 80s, still an extremely powerful book worth reading. Um, I think he goes too far in terms of interpreting every habit as an addiction. I mean, he saw addiction everywhere. Uh, Not every habit is an addiction, but an awful lot of them are. And And the model of addiction describes an awful lot of sin. Not just lust and gluttony and even avarice, but even even sloth and pride and envy in a way, or anger. All of them can be addictive, um, and all of their subparts, all of all of the pieces of those capital sins. Um, so addiction and addiction is fascinating because, of course, it's evoked this response in the form of the twelve steps, which have spread you know all over the place from a couple of drunks in Ohio and New York. And the 12 steps are so countercultural. And again, this is something I mentioned in a blog uh, post earlier uh, this year. But, you know, the, and the steps, if you, if you take apart the steps and look at them, I mean, I, I you know, and, and, and they're offered to everybody. And they, they are, and they should be offered to everybody. Because after all, we're all human beings. But my God, they're Christian. They are amazing, and they're Catholic. They're not. They're not. They're not sola fides. Um, they are definitely not, you know, hard predestination. They are. They're the. They're the entirety of the Christian message in terms of the moral life, the human life. You need grace. You're going to fail without it, but you have to be willing to act on the grace once it's offered to you. And you have to be willing to confess your sins and do something about it. And then turn around and ask for more help in order to do it less. To grow in virtue. To do the opposite. And to help one another. You need help to do all of those things, and yet you also need the willingness to put that help into practice. That's, that's, the, true, that's the true golden mean. Of, you know, not Pelagianism. No, we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Um, Those of us who've tried, really tried, have failed miserably. And yet, we also, we're we're also not passive recipients of, well, I'll just do whatever I do. No, no, that's that's not how it works either. Um, And then there's just, I mean, there's the fact that the, the West is based on, I mean, this... The Greek and Roman intellectual tradition merged with the Jewish tradition into Christianity, which is, you know, arguably, you know, ancient Judaism split into two pieces, modern Judaism and Christianity. And Christianity then went and spread and gained, you know, because it it had changed from a ethnic religion into a religion of conversion. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, things that, you know, simply... If you encounter this idea or this person and find it convincing, or you want to live the way that he does, um, then you join this religion. It's you know it's not limited by not limited by blood or culture. Um, so that that merger of Greco-Roman culture of Mediterranean culture, I should say, really more broadly, um, and the Jewish specific spiritual element. You know, that then had a thousand years to flower, and flower it did, and 
brought us and see that's the thing of course we live we you know we we live with that protestantism plays into this then secularism takes that and goes takes it further the attempt to forget our past the attempt to forget that we got all these ideas i mean all of the ideas what idea in progressivism is not either a conscious attempt to thumb its nose at christianity or else an unconscious continuation of a theme that was present in the Christian synthesis, in the in Christendom, so to speak, in the high Middle Ages. What doesn't fall into one of those two categories? And we have this enormous storehouse of intellectual structure, robust philosophical realism, the best out there, an enormous storehouse of moral philosophy, an enormous storehouse, really, of psychological insight, and yet we force ourselves, you know, Western scholars are forcing themselves to do it all over again. To pretend that it hasn't been done. Well, I mean, then to live in, and then of course, you know, we've, we're far past the point where we have actually deprived generation after generation of the knowledge that all of this has been done before. There are already very creditable attempts to be, you know, and not to be taken, you know, it's not like medieval psychology needs to be taken lock, stock, and barrel. Um, or any, you know, I'm not trying to make any such claim as that, but it's been thought about, and the details are worth studying, and the ones that work should be kept. It should all be tested, but some of it's going to work, (laughs) and a lot of it's going to inspire better ideas than the stuff we're ham-fisting around. I mean, the whole saga of 20th century psychology and Freudianism and Jungianism, it's not as bad as it could be, but um, certainly has its drawbacks that's for sure and then behaviorism oh my gosh i mean that's materialist reductionism you know applied to deliberately destroy human life practically um yeah so why do we as catholics slave along as intellectual second or third class citizens in the modern world um you know and we've and it's and it's gone you know that is it's amazing how you know how that voice has been silenced and put in the corner as the saying goes, um, you know, that everything has to be put through this filter of progressivism. Everything, you know, our, our whole culture, the whole establishment of publishing, of movie making, of television. And we're, you know, we're blessed to live in this age where we have such access through the internet, you know, that we can, we can at least, we have the opportunity, we have ground where we can create countercultural things. And people are doing that. Um, you know, the unplanned movie, the movie about Kermit Gosnell, they're just the two examples that come most immediately to my mind. Um, somehow the passion of the Christ got made as whatever you think about Mel Gibson. That was a, a beautiful, uh, film, a beautiful meditation and film of the passion. Um, these things slip out, but yeah. I mean, but it's, but we're, the machinery for it is so, like, it's, how has it been ground this far into the ground? And what do we need to do in the face of it? I mean, we need to push back. All of us who have anything to say, you know, we should talk to each other. (laughs) We should try to be organized about it. That'd probably help. Um, Because, but we have so much good to say. And of course, It'll be a lot more convincing if we do the good that that suggests, too. All right, well, this is going to be a full-length episode, isn't it? Um, Well, thanks for uh, 
soldiering on with me without in Bill's absence. Uh, I hope there's been something valuable in that. As always, we would love to get your feedback. You few, you brave, you proud, or subscribe to us and support us. Um, continue downloading and listening to the podcast. We're really grateful. Um, please uh, leave us a review. Please give us feedback. You can email us at the links on the website. That's so secondmillennium.net. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, some interesting news, like I promised. We are in talks about... Uh, providing sort of coverage of the Society of Catholic Scientists conference um, just as another form of you know media outlet. So they have videos, or release them on the website. We're going to try to promote this podcast and get it in front of more people. Um, there's just so much to do. I mean, this is, you know, I'm a self-taught amateur at all of this. Um, and of course, I'm the young one, so I get to do the technical stuff. Um, Bill is trying to make a living as a freelance journalist, which is a little busy, as you can imagine. So, yeah, I'm trying to do this my own, um, you know, all, all the production and that sort of value and, and the social media aspect of it. So it's, it's been very, very slow um, in terms of improving our social media engagement, um, trying, to, uh, trying to interact with people out there and get better ideas. But uh, we, we hope that uh, we can do something to help out the Society of Catholic Scientists because that mission is, is one of the many things you know, that we need to have people be visibly Catholic and Christian, and for that matter, you know, Muslim, Jewish, and Buddhist, believing, not culturally, and, you know, laissez-faire, not less, that's not really the term, but, you know, pick and choose as you please, um, type of actual religious people, but people who religion actually shapes their life, rather than it simply being a sort of, you know, decoration in a few small parts of their life. Uh, we need more of that too. So we hope to be able to support that mission. All right. Well, thanks again and uh, tune in next time. <laughs>